This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. My name is Scott Christensen. I'm here from Maine. I'm the, well, Maine, where it was 21 degrees below zero last night. And my son just texted me and said, Dad, I hear water running, a pipe burst. And I was like, mm. So I have that to deal with. Um, I'm the author of the book, Planted in Distress. Came out in 2012 from Review and Herald. Review and Herald is having a DVD come out uh, in March. DVD come out in March uh, on basically the presentation that you're seeing a small slice of. And there's a television series, Planted in Distress, coming out on LLBN starting in late February or March. Come on in, guys. Don't be embarrassed. It's just preamble. I'm just kind of droning on. Who's here? I, my good friend, Dr. Jay Neal, is here from Northern New England Conference. I got to recognize you, Jay. There's a guy here from my home conference. I work for the Northern New England Conference in addition to this ministry that I have. Um, is there anybody here else from New England? Northern New England? Or even New England? Boy, I'm so glad you're here, Jay. A friendly face. Well, they're all friendly faces, but it's good to see you. How many of you have been here for previous seminar sessions? Okay, fair number, fair number. Um, a lot of you haven't, and so I'm going to, I apologize to those of you who have been here before. You're going to go, oh, he's, he's going to go through the background again. But if I don't go through the background, more than half the audience would kind of be scratching their head and saying, what? And because, you know, when I held the second session, and I only had to catch people up from the first session, it only took a few minutes, but now that I've presented five hours of material, catching up takes a bit more time. I'm going to race through it and try and do as good a job as I can, but that still leaves me with a whole session to bring in and follow after catching people up. And for that reason, I'd like to start right away, even though we might be a minute or two early, and... Um, I would ask that we bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. Oh, what a seminar, what a session today. Not a seminar, sorry, a session today. Uh, what, a, what a sermon. What a tremendous privilege and pleasure to be here among like-minded Adventists, to be, to be filled with the Spirit, Lord, to hasten your kingdom. Lord, I ask that you would bring your spirit upon this seminar, that you would settle it on this seminar and all the seminars and all the speakers, that you would anoint my lips and the lips of the other speakers. Lord, that you would open the ears of those that are here so that they may hear your message, Lord, and go out filled. I ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Planet in distress, you're getting a small slice and you're getting the end slice. The rest of the sessions are on Audioverse, and of course there's, uh, and my blog, planetindistress.com, has a lot of free material, for those of you who like free. And then, oh, I'm supposed to push the book. Uh, I'm not good at pushing the book, I'm not a good salesman, but the book is available in the uh, exposition hall, and they have several hundred of them for some strange reason. And because they have several hundred of them, they've cut the price quite a bit, so here's your one chance. Anyway, let's go. We're going to be talking about five, five primary points. The fact that sin has an effect on the physical world, something that you will not hear 
elsewhere in the Christian world, and you won't hear elsewhere in the Adventist world, but once you start looking in spirit of prophecy, and once you start looking in scripture, there is an abundance of material to support this position. Sin affects not only man and beast and plants, sin affects the very systems that God created to support life on earth. Death from sin extends not just to man, but to our planet itself. And it's a big part of the great controversy that we have not seen until we could begin to see the uh, accelerating decay of our planet within the lifespan of one human. So this is something that we've just opened our eyes to, and you're hearing uh, a seminar, you're hearing information that is brand new in the Adventist world and is unknown in the rest of the Christian world. Instability in this physical world that is declining causes, yeah, diseases and disasters, but it causes instability in man's society. Our society is built right on top of the natural world. What's out there is not separate. We are fully dependent and living on it, even if we're air-conditioned or heated or whatever we're doing today, even if we're separated from it. So we've got sin, we've got instability in natural systems, and then we've got instability in society, and that causes conflict. I'll go into that just a little bit in this, uh, in this review session. Instability in man's society causes conflict. Conflict, in turn, results in disease, pestilence, famine. We're seeing it in, uh, in spades in Syria right now. This is a self-reinforcing downward spiral that we see in various stages in, in a number of countries throughout the world right now. We are seeing prophecy fulfilled before our eyes, full stop. This is the first generation that can chart and graph the fulfillment of prophecy and can go even further to looking at the trends and saying, that's where it's going to happen next. Central Africa, next. South America, next. All the trends say, this is where. And for a fuller explanation, you'd have to go back on audioverse. Hey, five hours, I can only cover so much here. But anyway, so everything that's happening on the earth is happening within the context of the great controversy. What we are seeing is the effect of Satan's administration of the earth. What we are seeing more precisely is the effect of what happens when you separate creation from its creator through sin. It the result is death, death in man, death in animals, death in systems. I'll go into those systems in just a second. And then, and this is where we are today, point five. Points one through four have already been covered in great detail. Uh, well, we're gonna cover like four and a half and then five. But there's a responsibility. We have more information than any other group of Christians, period, ever in history. We have a wealth that we need to share with the world. What's coming is terrible, but now is the time to plant. Yesterday was better. Today is the day to plant. Tomorrow will be worse. Don't wait for the harvest to be planting as vigorously as possible. Okay, anchor text is Matthew 24, six through eight. I'm gonna unpack this today, later. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. 
All these are the beginning of, the, of sorrows. My entire book is built on Matthew 24 and the parallel chapters, Mark 13 and Luke 21. But this is the key, key text. So these systems, God didn't just create things during creation week, he created systems. These systems, and in session one, I went into significant detail in these. Every one of these systems is in staggering and accelerating decline. We can see it within the course of our lifetimes. This is what underpins the world, and these are unstable. Um, and it's not a small thing. You live in a, most of you, I know many people come from many countries here, most of you live in uh, wealthy societies. But there's at least four billion people right now who are being incredibly squeezed, four billion, and who in the last five years have had to dramatically, welcome, have had to dramatically change their lives because the world is getting so much more difficult for them while in the highly developed world, we don't even notice. People that we want to reach, people that Christ died for, their lives are getting worse and worse and worse, and it's harder and harder and harder for them to concentrate on other things. Our ability to reach them is degrading with each day. So the world was created perfectly and went to complete dysfunction where it is now, and of course you know what happened. It was a result of sin. And here's the logic chain. Satan is in rebellion. Thank you. Rebellion is sin. Sin is separation from God. Separation from God is death. Everything on earth that God created is subject to death, including these amazing and massive natural systems that we just looked at. I think probably everybody in the room has played with a child's top. And you know what happens. You know, you spin it, and it's, it's uh, spinning there, and it's nice and smooth, and it's gliding across whatever smooth surface uh, uh, you, you put it on but it only goes for so long. And then it begins to wobble, and then it really begins to wobble, and then it topples. The earth itself, part of creation, part of what is at stake in the great controversy, what is the most memorized text in the Christian world? For God so loved the... Thank you. I, 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 thank you. No, I, okay, I found my glasses. I, I'll try and read it. Uh, for God so loved the world, and the world itself is unstable. Okay, I have been asked to uh, ask people to move to the center rows where it's possible to do so. As Ellen White said, press together because there are more who would like to come in. So if you don't move, well, not, I'm sorry, move to the center of the row and, and let people sit. Uh, come in. Thank you for that. Okay, why does it matter that the world is becoming less and less stable? Well, a number of reasons. It's because the world, for a number of other reasons, is unstable to begin with, not least is the fact of which that there's seven billion of us trying to get to the, trying to consume the resources of the world. Uh, I'm skipping a tremendous amount, but I'm trying to catch you up. The canary in the coal mine in terms of, terms of resource constraints is food. The reason we have seven billion people is because for so long, food was so plentiful and so cheap. When you have more food, you have more of whatever eats it. 
You have a lot more food for rabbits, you've got a lot more rabbits. A lot more food for cows, you've got a lot more cows. A lot more food for humans that's cheap and accessible, and you get humans. All of this being the result of the Industrial Revolution and the use of hydrocarbons. So this is a food price chart going back to 1990 from the Food and Agriculture Organization, part of the United Nations. You can look at this same chart going back to 1960, the year I was born. And here is where food got cheapest. Now this food price chart is also a proxy for the price of oil. This is essentially an oil price chart. You could use it for both. It's not an oil price chart, it's a food price chart, but you can use it for both because there's an iron connection between oil and food. We use six to nine calories of oil to put one calorie of food on our plate. If we stopped using oil in the production of food, we would have a 95% decrease in production. But here, while you guys, almost none of you noticed, we had an almost a doubling of price in this price spike in 2008. We had a small price spike here. We had a lar uh, another price spike here that was tremendous. This was gut-wrenching for the rest of the world because you buy processed and packaged food and you don't buy just a handful of it. Their price has doubled your price because you pay almost the, the, the actual cost of the food and what you buy is so small that you don't notice the price of food doubling, most of you who come from North America and Europe. Why does that matter? This is the same food price spike put together, this chart is put together by NEXI, the uh, North, uh, New England uh, Complex Systems Institute, it's cooperation between Harvard and MIT. One, two, three. When you get food price spikes, you get destabilization in society. Here and here are rebellions, are the overthrow of government, are conflict between nations. Uh, it's not always true. You get one here. This is one death. You see other figures there. Syria at 900 is more than 100 times as deadly now. There are more than 100,000 people dead in Syria, and there are 5 million refugees. And there is astonishing starvation and disease just in Syria, if we just choose this one example. I'm not saying that the Arab Spring resulted from a food price spike, the conditions were really bad, but I'm saying it was triggered by a food price spike. Next up, Central Africa. Next up, South America, parts of it anyway. And it will come if this, if this chart is anywhere near real. Again, this is put together by Nexi, really smart people, and they say this is our trend for food prices given the, de the continuing degradation of the earth and given the increase in costs and inputs. I think they're wrong, I think that curve is too steep, and this is my curve. Either way, this should have us shaking in our boots. The very earth that we live on is subject to sin and is degrading and decaying. And the very society that we witness in is riding that sled downhill. Time is so very, very short, brothers and sisters, and you can read the progression of the great controversy in headlines day to day. That's where we are in history. Uh, I covered God-made systems and then I covered man-made systems one of which is energy, oil, and, and underpinning our societies. What we've done on a global basis is we have used energy uh, and, and used our, 
the fact that we were created in the image of God and that we're intelligent, we've used that to insulate ourselves from God. This is uh, Hong Kong, where I used to live, actually, working for ADRA. So here we are, and again, pardon me, rushing through. The rest of the world can see, those that are paying attention, and that's many, the rest of the world can see that something is going on. And those who are really paying attention, their hair is on fire. Knowledge has increased, men are running to and fro, and their hearts are already failing them for what is coming on the earth. And as the earth continues to degrade, that sense where their hearts failing them for what's coming on the earth will increase. Prophecy is being filled right in front of our eyes, right now. Uh, I'm not suggesting that we go out and tell everybody about natural systems and the earth and everything. My job is to wake up. Ashley, is that you back there? Another northern New Englander, actually a member of my own church. It's, I haven't seen you yet. I'm sorry to embarrass you, but hi. <laughs> I've seen five New Englanders and I've given them all a hug and you, only you have escaped, so you're in good shape. It's nice to see you. She's going from here to start her mission work in Africa. Amen? Amen. Okay. Um, so we have this opportunity and this responsibility and this wealth of information while a world is wondering not to tell them that the earth is being destroyed but to lift up Christ. And my message is wake up and look around and know that Christ is coming soon. So, um, still in backup phase but uh, we're getting there quick. Does anybody know what this is? I didn't hear it, it might have been said, this is phosphate rock being mined in Africa. There's very few places in the world that produce phosphate rock. I think Florida actually produces some. Yeah, but not much. Um, there's 18 years worth of phosphate rock left in the world. And what we've done around the globe in the age of industrial agriculture is take dirt, uh, take soil created by God, which was stuffed with living creatures, microorganisms, fungus, which scavenged nutrients and had symbiotic relationships with plants. We've killed that and replaced it with dirt so that we have to have chemicals, we have to have this stuff, and we have to have oil-based chemicals. If we don't have this stuff, this is what happens in dirt. We no longer have agricultural soil in any abundance in the earth. We've got 18 years left, and this is what we're looking at, and we're trying to feed 7 billion people. Meanwhile, the oceans are crashing. Okay. Then I went through financial systems and how they are built ultimately on the earth and how they are growing less stable. We just don't have the resources to combat what sin is doing to the world. Now in every time, every time I go into detail on what's going on, there's always an engineer with a mindset or, or, or someone with an engineering mindset trying to fix the world and coming up with solutions to the roughly one dozen extremely critical global problems that I lay out. And ultimately, I ask this person or this type of person, what is your solution for reversing the effects of sin? Maybe you can build a greenhouse somewhere, but seriously, what is your solution for reversing the effects of sin? Because that's what we're talking about. Okay, this gets us to where we had to end early yesterday. And I will try to look at my uh, uh, phone every once in a while, my, my clock, and avoid having to 
not finish. So when will it get bad? Before I show these graphs, I want to make really, really clear that I am not predicting when Christ will come. That's foolishness and forbidden ground. I'm talking about what's going on and its impact on human society and when things will get really bad in human society. And these timelines can be extended. They can far more likely be contracted because all of my calculations are based on linear progression when many things that we see are going exponentially. So actually these are conservative estimates. But when will it get bad in human society? In earlier sessions, I talked about aquifers that are being pumped out all over the world under super cities in Asia uh, with not very long left, in some cases a decade, in some cases less, in many cases more. Phosphate, which you saw, phosphate rock, 18 years left. And fisheries, the ocean uh, is dying, to be blunt about it. This huge ocean is dying and will be, for all extensive purposes, commercially fished out in about 20 years. The, the oceans are entering something that oceanic science, scientists call the Mycocene era, the age of slime. If you love the oceans, go, go look at it now. And I have to admit to some sadness when we read in the book of Revelation that there was no sea. But hey, it's going to be better than what we know, so it's all right. In this graph, blue is good. Really deep red is really, really bad. And most people will read this and say, 2040, I'll be dead, party on. It's not necessarily true with this audience, but most audiences I speak to, the average age is older. But that's not really what I want you to take away from this. I don't see how human society can function the way it does today or function in any truly meaningful way the way it does past about here. And it only gets worse and it only gets worse very, very rapidly. And this is based on a linear progression. I talked about the Ogallala Aquifer underlying parts of eight of the central United States and the fact that everything that uses water in those states gets its water from the Ogallala Aquifer. The fact we've got 20 years, le 20 years left on this, um, really about 18 years left on this aquifer um, and that it underpins the production of a tremendous amount of food that the world, that not just the US but the world uses. And the fact that given the drought that we saw last year in the United States, three years were knocked off the life of that aquifer. It didn't just go, I mean, it, it really went. If we get um, the kind of disruptions we've been seeing in our weather patterns, things could really go a lot faster. This is our oceanic, atmospheric, food production, climate, and freshwater systems. And I realize you can hardly tell which line is which, but I'm gonna argue that it doesn't matter. There's two things that are important about this graph. First of all, the fact that according to my interpretation of data and trends, that we would see this slightly exponential rise in the course of much less than a human lifetime, that we, we see this much degradation in the natural earth, the top is really beginning to wobble. The second argument I would make is that we really don't have any idea what's going on with these systems. Uh, the science is really poor, but this system is our ocean. And we have hundreds of years of good data. We understand this system. Now in session one, 
I went through the creation week and I talked about how after creating each component of the earth, each system of the earth, God would say, it's good. But at the very end, when he looked at everything he had made, in other words, when it was fully integrated and running, and ex you know, it, it was like a fine watch where everything affected everything else. When it got to that state, God looked at it and said it was very good. All of these things are connected like the gears in a fine watch. I would argue that every system is here. That the news is worse than it appears to be and we have a very flawed understanding of what's going on in the world. That would be my argument. And that means we have less time than we think, less peaceful time than we think in which to work. And that means we need to rethink how we allocate our resources, including our time, including our reputation, our willingness to put ourselves on the line by witnessing to someone else. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. Frankly, I'll tell you the truth, I'd rather preach to a room full of backslidden Adventists, no offense. But still, I know you guys are on fire, but I'm still gonna put a match under you. So. <laughs> but this is where we are. As, I, as, as I've been uh, working on these, the ideas that underpin this for 20 years, and I'm convinced that the Lord has led me, and as best as I can tell, uh, this is where we are. I could be very wrong, but if this information leads me to being more fervent for the Lord and to proclaiming Him and not this, where have I lost? Amen? So, mind you, I am not suggesting radicalism. I'm not suggesting uh, any fringe views. I am suggesting greater fervency in the servants of our, service of our Lord. Men in responsible positions will not only ignore and despise the Sabbath themselves, but from the sacred desk will urge upon the people the observance of the first day of the week, pleading traditions and customs in behalf of this man-made institution. They will point to calamities on land and sea, to the storms of wind, the floods, the earthquakes, the destruction by fire, as judgments indicating God's displeasure because Sunday is not sacredly observed. These calamities will increase more and more. One disaster will follow close upon the heels of another, and those who make void the law of God will point to the few who are keeping the Sabbath of the fourth commandment as the ones who are bringing wrath upon the world. Ellen White, Southern Watchman, 1904. How would an Adventist fill in this sentence? I will really know it's the end time when I see the blank. Sunday law. Okay. And it's going, to be, it's going to be disasters that actually lead to the call. Not a lot of Adventists are aware of this. It's going to be disasters that lead to the call. Have there, has there been a, an increase in disasters? Oh, yeah. Now, you have to be really careful with this graph. It says reported disasters per year. And this is a... Uh, this is a database kept by actually the Catholic uh, University of Belgium, <laughs> actually. <laughs> but uh, in 1920, were there places in the Amazon? Were there places in uh, outer Alaska? Were there places in uh, Siberia where there was a significant disaster and they weren't reported? Absolutely, guaranteed. 1930, 1940, 
Yeah, World War II, better communications, 1950, 1960s, Sputnik, 1970s. We've already landed on the moon by now. 1980, CNN, satellites everywhere. I would suggest to you that by 1980, this is reliable data. So let's ignore all this, and let's go from 1980, where we've seen a tripling of disasters in the last 30 years. A tripling of disasters in the last 30 years. And I can fill in a couple, couple bars here. Here we are now. We are continuing up. And really, you only get this spike depending on how you divide up the data. I went every 10 years. If I went every five years, it would be smoother. But anyway, we're headed up. Um, after, each, uh, after each disaster, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's one day, maybe two days, where in the media you hear about a spiritual connection. That big tornado in Moore, Oklahoma. Well, praise God, more people weren't killed and God spared us. And, 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 and you'll hear some people saying this is a judgment by God. The media doesn't generally cover them, but you'll hear it in some places. But there's this little spiritual thing. We had it after Superstorm Sandy. When disasters come one after another, that spiritual thing is sustained. And you'll get people saying, and in fact, you can actually hear them saying, quoting the minor prophets, we have to return to God. We have to heal our land. Look what's going on. You can hear it being said in America. After all, Ellen White calls it the national Sunday law, not the international Sunday law. Um, but we forget quickly, but as disasters come more and more frequently, then... Uh, these, the, 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 time is, is the time is compressed enough and the impressions are sustained enough and people begin to feel like they are in a siege and the Lord is cursing our land and you can hear the sermons being preached and you can hear the calls being made. We have to somewhere between double and triple our rate of disasters where we are now, but that's not a difficult thing. And if the rate of increase uh, if, the rate of, if the rate of increase increases, is that the right sentence? If we go back to this rate of increase, it's going to come more quickly than we are prepared for, to be sure. No matter how quickly it comes, it's going to become more quickly than we are prepared for. We don't have time to waste. We don't have time to pursue frivolous things. In the United States, disasters are, occur, are uh, increasing a bit faster than in the rest of the world. So while the rest of the world has seen a significant increase in disasters, we're, um, this, uh, this, it, where it says 2011, they, they put that up. This slide was, uh, I, didn't, I didn't put 2011 in. The folks I got the slide from prepared the um, slide in like August. But actually, 2011 went off the chart and 2012 was down, and 2013 is up just below 2011. So we're seeing the trend is, is up, 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 and we'll see more if things, unless the Lord intervenes. As, if we keep going as we're going, if the impact of sin on the world itself keeps going, this is what we're going to see. And here's what we're coming to. 
I have, a f I think I have a few of these to hand out if anyone would like them. I, I hope I'm not creating false expectations. I think I have a few of these. Um, and I ran out once, and that's because everybody wants one. This is great stuff put together by an Adventist pastor. Lays it out very um, well. And this is not time proportional, because uh, here we've got papal rule right here. And, and here we've got eternity, and I think those should take, that eternity should take up more of this graph, I think, if my understanding of eternity is correct. But here we are, inside the third angel's message, approaching the shaking time, approaching the Sunday law, approaching the loud cry in the latter rain. Here we are, and the last events will be rapid ones. Christ's prophecy in Matthew 24, 6 through 8, just read that at the beginning, wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, famine, earthquakes, has been mostly fulfilled because the earthquake is missing in some countries and completely fulfilled in others. What we are seeing is we are seeing countries stop moving forward in their development and actually move into reverse, which because these countries at the bottom of the global economic pyramid hold up the rest of the world, that should worry us when we see so many countries, from an economic standpoint, it should worry us. From a Christian standpoint, which is entirely different, or should be, to see countries where the conditions in Matthew 24, 6 through 8, where Christ told his disciples what would happen immediately before he came, to see them being sequentially fulfilled in countries with weak governance and head our way should be a tremendous warning. Central Africa, next. South America and some parts of Central America, next. If things go on the way they're going. It's God himself and his character that's on trial. And God's character is reflected to some degree in what's coming on the world. Um, the rest of the world would say, look, I had a vacation planned and this happened and God's not fair. Uh, my life should go on the way it's been, you know. Well, no, the consequences of sin are death. Actually, God's character is reflected in the fact that we get any chance at all of salvation. That's God's character. But because the great controversy is a test to show how corrupt Satan's system is and what happens, Things have to progress, and it'll get really bad. The other part of the great controversy is Satan's accusations about God. But even in the end-time events, we see God's character. He's, number one, he's tarrying. He's delaying as long as possible. Many here have a chance, and many that you will talk to have a chance of eternal salvation because the time of the end has been, has been delayed. Let's go to Exodus. Let's go to the plagues and the parallels that are there. Some really good artwork. I forget the name of the artist. 18, I think about the 1840s that these were done. And they're over in the Tate Museum in London, but I forget the name of the artist. So the plagues, as I think you probably know, systematically humiliated. I mean, God just wiped the floor with the Egyptian gods. He really did. I mean, they were humiliated. And um, there were a bunch of Egyptian gods that they had. They had different 
deities in charge of different things. And he didn't destroy them all because they had so many, but he destroyed the primary ones. I mean, uh, when you take down the chiefs, the, the Indians don't matter. God showed that he was the God of everything. Remember, God was communicating about himself to people who didn't know it or, or understand him, including most of the Israelites. Amen? In our time, God will communicate about himself to a world that mostly does not know or understand him and will do so in mercy. God, the, uh, the how many of you uh, are familiar with Asian culture? One, come on, okay, I'm, I gotta be more than that, you just don't wanna raise your hand, which is typically Asian, by the way. Okay. <laughs> Working in China, I, became to, I came to understand that, that luck was a really big part of that culture, and in, in Chinese numerology, luck is represented by the number eight, Next time you go to a Chinese restaurant, look how many eights they have in their phone number. The number, number six? Rich, I'm rich, yes, I got them mixed up, you're right. The number eight is rich, this is six, so. I only lived there for three years, and you didn't raise, you didn't raise your hand. But thank you, I do appreciate the correction, thank you. Sincerely, I do. So, for the, for the, um, well, six, but you'll agree that luck is very important in Asian culture. They'll go to great, great lengths to assure luck. And, uh, but frogs, for the Egyptians, were lucky. Like seeing a four-leaf clover. I saw a frog, I'm gonna have a good day. Wow! And God says, you want luck? I got, I got luck for you turned them into a plague to where they wanted no more luck at all. The Egyptians believed, oh, I think it was Osiris, I've forgotten, I should have reviewed more carefully. I think it was Osiris, who was the god of the air. And the Egyptians knew that it was a good thing, that it was an auspicious thing, when there was a fly in the room because the representative of Osiris, the representative of the god of the air was that fly. And the king wanted to have flies around, you know, when he was doing his business so that the king could hear, so that the, the god could hear what was going on and could affect things. That was, those were his disciples, those flies. And the Lord said, you want flies? Have I got a deal for you? The gods were turned into curses. Well, we have made gods, ourselves, our societies, our, our, our ability to control the earth and to change the earth. I spoke about that extensively in session three. Um, money, but these things will be made into a curse. Anyone who's watched my, my complete presentation and understands how unstable the earth is coming and has done a little connecting the dots and understands how artificial our cities are, anyone who has looked at that and still thinks it's a great idea to live in the cities, then I've completely failed. We have so much wealth from the prophet that we have scoffed at, and I do mean scoffed at, Oh, let's flee to the country. Many, not, not, not necessarily people here, but I've heard in my time a lot of scoffing 
um, we just haven't taken amazingly good advice seriously. And I, I, I may be getting a little off topic, brothers and sisters, but I, I advance the thought that there is a relationship between the rejection of the advice and the fact that 80% of the, ch- of the young people leave the church. I would further advance the thought that by not people of my generation not living a fervent life, we do not give our youth a distinct enough choice between the way of Christ and the way of the world. Something I bear with shame. But our gods will be destroyed, and that is an act of mercy. Most people on the earth will say that it's a terrible thing, that it's a curse. How could God do this? I was, you know, I was almost saved up enough for a Benz. My life was good by their measurement. And yet our gods will be destroyed. And as our gods are destroyed, as the insulation is ripped away that we have put between ourselves and God, speaking on behalf of all humanity there when I say ourselves, that will be the quiet moment. That will be the opportunity for the seed to sprout. But what has not been planted will not sprout. We are looking ahead. Most Adventists look ahead with fear and trembling to these days. But these days are also, uh, the time of little trouble is also when the Holy Spirit is poured out, when the latter rain is poured out. This is an opportunity for what has ever been planted to sprout. Yesterday was a good planting time. Today is not as good. Tomorrow is not as good. Much worse. Now is the time. And 10 years from now, we'll look back to the golden days of now, and some of us may wish we had really worked a lot harder. Yes, the bridegroom is tarried, but he's done so in mercy. He's also, I had an entire sermon on, well, on a bunch of stuff, but I talked about uh, the bridegroom tarrying in session four. He has tarried in mercy. We are asleep, and it should not be a source of comfort that Christ said we would be. Uh, And he's calling on us to wake up. So here we are, approaching by every indication that I see, and pretty much on the same timeline, unless God intervenes, we are approaching a time of little trouble. I'll take questions at the end. Oh, the tarrying. Um, That's the delay. That's the delay. In other words, between 1844 and when Christ does come is my understanding of the delay period. Uh, Others others, uh, um, may, uh, may say, well, no, it's really between when the Pope came back and when the close of probation, you know, when Christ comes. Uh, there are a couple thoughts there, but when, thing, when prophecy had been is sufficiently fulfilled that Christ could have come, the difference between there and when he does come. I want to take apart Matthew 24, 6 through 8. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. So this means that we will hear of actual shooting conflicts, and we will also hear of, of potential conflicts. Country A is so mad at country B. 
But not just that, people group A is so mad at people group B. So we're going to hear of state wars and we're going to hear of non-state wars. Who can think of a non-state war? There's one going on right now, it's in the headlines today. The Shias on one side, Iraq, right now, with the two groups of Muslims that are, uh, that, that country is, is coming apart at the seams. And, and it was in horrible shape to begin with. But it's not just states, it's also people groups. It's conflict on a number of levels. We're going to be hearing about it actually happening and we're gonna he be hearing about it almost happening or it might happen or, in other words, a, country, a world that's getting more and more and more unstable and antsy. We're gonna see the signs. The rest of the world is not gonna know what they mean. See that ye be not troubled. What lies ahead immediately precedes eternity in heaven with Christ. And it has to happen. Only if we are rooted in this world will it truly trouble us. Well, that's an improvement. Why didn't we do this five sessions ago? <laughs> I like that. Well, okay, another 15 minutes of that. Oh, well, anyway. See that ye be not troubled, for these things must come to pass. They have to happen. The great controversy must be concluded. The, the, even though all of the universe is pleading with God to end it because it is so hideous and so ugly, he has to take it to where he wants it to go. Satan's system must be shown conclusively and for all time to be a complete and disastrous failure or else it'll happen again. Do not be troubled. Even so, the end is not yet. No, probation has to close. We have to stand terrible times. And yet, we are standing with God. Nation shall rise against nation, that's state against state, and kingdom against kingdom, that's people group against people group. Uh, you've seen, you're seeing in parts of Africa, a lot of people group against people group, you're seeing in parts of Africa, uh, state against state, you're seeing uh, France fly more troops down to Central African Republic. Keep your eye, not just on uh, CAR, keep your eye on Central Africa, keep your eye on South and Central America in the coming year. I'll be writing a full blog post on my blog about that very subject, talking about what I think we'll see in 2014. My blog is planetindistress.com. There shall be famines. Well, I don't think we need to interpret that. It's very straightforward. Um, we see famines as a result of instability in the earth. We see famines as a result of conflict, both, and as a result of economic upset. So these come from two different directions and sometimes there's a confluence of them, as in Syria. Um, in session two, I explained how Syria has been in profound drought since 2006, and that in fact had a lot to do with spurring a big part of the Arab Spring. Pestilence, well, is this disease or is this like a plague? It depends on your understanding of it. I'm, my personal interpretation, and I don't make any claim to being particularly right, my personal understanding is that it's both. It's interesting, people have forgotten, uh, there's no common knowledge of it today, but there, a long time ago, in the 1930s, the US was have, had something called a Dust Bowl. 
a dust bowl and a depression. So in the uh, agricultural area, the, crop, the uh, grain growing area of the United States, there was severe drought and the farming practices had been very poor and the, the dirt just blew away between a combination of the two. Tremendous windstorms and the soil became airborne. And it turns out that we're not supposed to breathe soil. Who knew? There's just a whole lot of stuff in there that doesn't belong in our lungs. When there were severe dust storms during the Dust Bowl era, uh, there was tremendous death among the old and young, very young especially. We're beginning to see dust storms in Arizona. You don't want to retire there, folks. You really don't for a variety of reasons. We're beginning to see dust storms, for instance, in San Diego. When there is a dust storm, emergency rooms just fill up. Uh, what is coming is disease as a result of the disruption of the earth from a number of directions, not just dust storms. You, there's, there's a whole lot of water in the world that you don't want to swim in, that you could have swum in, swam in 20 years ago. We're seeing a more and more threatening world. And we're also seeing things line up. At some point, our number is up and we will see plague. We're overdue. We will see some form of, of horrible, virant plague where a very significant number of people who are affected die. Will we witness to those people first? We can't save them. Will we witness to them first? That's the only relevant question. Earthquakes in diverse places. What do you, what do, you do with that? When I started this presentation in 2008, before I wrote my book, and I was just feeling my way along, my explanation was that um, uh, Satan could not maintain in balance what God created. That was the best I could do. There's since a, a book that has come out, it's 35 bucks. I suggest you don't read it. It's called Waking the Elephant. No, Waking the, Waking the Giant, I beg your pardon. Waking the Giant. It's written by a volcanologist from the UK. 80% of the book is evolution. 20% is very interesting. This very credible volcanologist, if you, if you, if you strip out the, the evolution, what he basically says is, the Earth is in a dynamic state. In other words, it's just, it can be tipped any direction. It's much more sensitive to small changes than we think. As we get more and more, as we get warming in the atmosphere and we get more and more uh, moisture in the atmosphere, that increases the weight of the atmosphere on the crust of the Earth. That change, that little change, is enough to move fault lines. As we pump water out of the earth, out of aquifers, and increase, uh, uh, in, in decrease the amount of water in the earth, and decrease the amount of water in the oceans, uh, increase the amount of water in the oceans, and change the pressure on our tectonic plates, that's enough to spur earthquakes. As we have ice melt, uh, especially out of Greenland, and significantly, and yes, we are getting increasing sea levels, just that little bit, is enough to spur earthquakes, but as we get more uh, of that, we will get a lot more earthquakes. In, and then he goes on to tell a story about an earthquake that happened in 2009 out in the middle of the Pacific. He said, it's amazing. This is the first time, you know, earthquakes happen where plates join, like on a turtle's back. There's this place where they join. But, but this is the first time we've seen an earthquake in the middle of a plate, and it's beginning to fold and bend. And if it does that anymore, we will see a total re rearrangement of the continents of the earth and islands will disappear. He says it'll take 20,000 years. I think his timeline is off. 
but these things really are happening and really are going on. Uh, we're out of here at 4.15, right? How am I doing? Yeah, I got a few more minutes. I'm going to rush. So what are you going to do? Now, bear in mind, this is made for a sleepy church, and hopefully you guys don't fit in that category. But look at, look at my recommendations with the mind of speaking to... Oh, and by the way, this presentation is very interesting to, to backslidden Adventists, yes, but also very interesting to people of a secular mindset who would otherwise not enter an Adventist church to hear a prophecy seminar. Um, I, I always get real excited when, when uh, we get a bunch of community members to a, a seminar, and almost without fail, the feeling is reciprocated. They're a lot more excited than my brothers and sisters sitting in the pews. Uh, I, explain that to me. Uh, but anyway, okay. Um, the only way to prepare yourself is to get to know Christ as a friend. Full stop. When things come upon us, bad things, we'd all like to say, oh, I call on Jesus, and some may, but the truth is, most people, when things happen, will call a friend. I know when something mechanical happens, I call a good friend in Maine called, named Todd. He's like 350 pounds. He's the nicest, biggest guy I've ever met. My wife has her network, and she gets right on the phone, and, and, and uh, she calls friends. With what's coming on the earth, we have to have that same friendship relationship with Jesus, where he's not a concept where he is a man as we are and a God as we are not, where he is someone that when we call him like a friend, we know he'll help, we know he'll come, and we're going to be delighted to see him. That's the relationship that we need to have. We need to study the Bible and store it up in our hearts. What kind of a friend is it someone whose letters we don't read? Develop a vigorous prayer life. You know what I'm going to say. What kind of a friend is it that we don't talk to and do so every day and familiarize yourself with prophecy and end time events on audio verse session four of this is a sermon which I don't think you've ever heard talking about watching and how emphatic Christ was and if you have any interest I urge you it doesn't cost you anything when the audio verse comes out from these seminars uh, uh, to avail yourself of that 45-minute sermon and how it is our profound responsibility to watch and know. So, how to prepare your family. This assumes you've been preparing yourself. Draw away from the world. Decrease your dependency, yes, but get away from the influences of the world to the extent you can. Get out of debt. This is where my wife and I are. And it's like crawling up a wall with your fingernails. Man, but we'll get there. Part of withdrawing from the influences of the world is practicing simplicity in the economy. The rest of the world's not doing that unless they're absolutely forced to. Raise more of your own food, spend more time in the garden and in nature while avoiding fanaticism. It's interesting, Ellen White, in almost, almost all cases, says, grow food for health, spend time in nature to commune with God. Spend time in your garden to commune with God. It is the spiritual benefit. You're not supposed to do it so that, you're so that you're relying on yourself and not God in the end time. She does say 
within the context of having, being able to keep functioning, that growing our own food is very useful when we can no longer buy or sell. But we're not supposed to not rely on God. And if we do, what we, what we have put in place will be taken from us forcefully. We will be forced to rely on God. So, but how do you prepare your neighbors and friends? Again, preaching to the choir here. Draw close to Christ so that people see him in you. Make him a friend and approach, don't wait until you're there. <laughs> Go out because going out is going to bring you closer to Christ. But still, continue in your progression so that you get so close to Christ that people see him in you. Hold up friends and neighbors in prayer and ask God to create opportunities for you to witness. You have to give of yourself and interact frequently. If it's, if it's a friend at work, if it's a neighbor who never sees you and all of a sudden you show up with tracks and that's all they know about you. That's, when it comes down to witnessing as was done yesterday, well, you just got to go and you don't have a chance to, do, to, to be known before you show up, but that's okay. But for those that are around you that are the most likely targets of your evangelizing, give of yourself. And as a writer, as, there are a lot of homes in the world where our church papers go, and there's this thing called the coffee table process, where the new magazine is put down, and there's like this time that it has to sit. You can't throw that magazine away without guilt until what, two months? Maybe, I mean, you may not read it, but you can't throw it away without guilt until you've either read it or it's sat there for two months. So there's this delicate aging process that a lot of our books and articles go through, and it just depresses me. But anyway, don't do that. Have a store of books and articles that you've actually read, and have them on hand for varying occasions. Now, maybe you gave of yourself and you interacted with your neighbor and helped them paint their garage and found out that their brother is suffering from diabetes, just got, just got diagnosed. Oh, no kidding. I will pray for your brother. Hey, you know, we've got my, uh, my church is really big in health, and it has this program called CHIP, and it actually reverses diabetes. You know what? I got an article. I'm going to bring it over. Printed material is so non-threatening, brothers and sisters. Even in the age, even in the visual age, it is still very powerful. People don't have to pick it up. They can take it as they want it. It's non-threatening. Have that on hand and the DVDs and all the visual stuff and their email address and forward them files and all that other stuff. Offer to pray with people and present their problems before the Lord, but especially after you've done the above so that you're a real person who really cares and they know you're praying for whatever their situation is. This is a very simple step, but for an inactive church, these are doable. And that's why they're there. There isn't anyone who shouldn't have a ministry. I give a couple examples up here. There's a thousand different ministries. When I was in Mongolia as the director of ADRA, a country that is the cold, has the coldest capital city in the world, it only has one city at that time anyway, um, we saw 45 degrees below zero, and there were thousands of street children, street children, long story, I don't have time to explain, but thousands of street children being sold into prostitution, being used to get into the small places during robberies, um, 
Everything horrible that you could imagine was happening to those street children. They were beat by the police because Mongolia did not want to admit they existed. They were driven into the underground steam tunnels under the city, the only warm place they could get to anyway. Other people, including parents, would catch them and steal their clothes to give to their children. You had gangs of street children from four to 14 or so underneath the city, living in the steam tunnels, sharing clothing so that maybe two could go out and beg. We had people in the US who were, and elsewhere, who were old women, chair bound, okay? Making quilts by hand and with love. And we would get these quilts and we would give them to these street children. And I have to be careful as I explain this because it still breaks me up, remembering the looks on the faces. And we would also hand them out power bars so that were donated by the power bar company. Everybody can have a ministry, including someone who is chair-bound and has arthritis and it takes them six months to make a little quilt. It still matters. Inaction is immoral. And nobody is going to want to explain to God they didn't do anything. If you don't know what to do, then my advice to you is to do something because God cannot correct your path if you're not moving. If you head off in the wrong direction and you're moving, God can correct your path. Here's just a couple things. Just how am I doing on time? Uh, 4.12, three minutes. Uh, All right. You guys leave when you want to, all right? I don't have long left. I think I've just got like five minutes maybe. So food price spiral in my home church, in uh, Ashley's home church on the back wall, there is a food bank there in Western Maine. We used to have 50 or 60 people come on the third Tuesday of the month. Now it's close to 400. Am I correct, Ashley? Yeah. 400 people, and these aren't people who are just lazy. These people really need health. Um, and the food price spirals, now this is mostly job loss, but food price spirals will hit the U.S. And when we have our food bank day, we are running. We are running food out to cars, and we're moving as fast as we can, and God bless you, and they're gone. They hardly know they went to a church. But some of those people will be interested in gardening. And they've got, in Maine at least, they've got a little some property to do so. Not a big place at all, but even people who who live in the smallest trailer, there's so much land in Maine, we're not stingy with it. Come and visit us sometime. But um, uh, we see them for a minute at food bank, but those who are interested in gardening, uh, they need a lot of help. They need someone who's willing to go to their house every week for an hour and work with them in the soil, a spiritual experience. They need someone who has a rototiller to break the soil. Who here doesn't relate to humans well but has a rototiller? Who's up for a rototiller ministry? That's a ministry. Who here has a greenhouse and is willing to say, yeah, I'll grow those those plants in in those four packs. I'll do that. That's a ministry. You may never reach someone spiritually saying, here's your box of food at a food bank. And that's no reason to stop doing it. You should do. You should should keep doing the food bank. But what's the chance you can reach people with a gardening ministry spending an hour a week for 20 weeks? And then they've got all this food. Well, does your church have a kitchen? 
because they need to know how to prepare it and how to preserve it. And then it's not far from there to a chip program. You got all the food, let's show you how to improve your health. And if your, church, if your kitchen is in the basement of your church, it's only one flight up to the sanctuary. Only a few, but you know what? Those precious few will rejoice with you forever in heaven. We, excuse me for saying so, we blew it on health care. This coming from a kid that grew up in Loma Linda. As far as I can tell, our current medical system was not the health ministry that was described in Ellen White's writings. There are a tremendous, and I've got to be careful because my good friend Dr. J. Neal is here, uh, uh, so I've got to watch myself, but, but I think he might support some of what I'm saying. But we did not strictly follow the advice of the prophet, but I think we get a, another kick at that cat. I think with the way healthcare costs are going, I think with the way personal health is going, I think with the divergence of those two things, that there is a second chance coming up to practice basic healthcare ministry in accordance with uh, uh, medical evangelism as described by Ellen White. And there is no lack of institutions, that, uh, Adventist institutions that will teach us how. This is a rare calling and it's not an easy one, but if you are being called, you should answer. There are those who respond with ADRA. And as a former ADRA country director, I can tell you that when people show up to volunteer at international disasters, they are in the way. The ADRA people are going crazy. We got truckloads of stuff going in. We got government officials. Things are just, nobody sleeps. It's horrible. But the only people there who are putting their arms around others and praying with them are these volunteers. Internet, I have a blog. I spend about five hours a week on it. I post one or two articles normally, all along these lines. I am stoked when someone from an almost unreachable country goes to the blog, reads the article, clicks on the scripture reference, clicks on another scripture reference, clicks on another article. I just gave a Bible study. I would work five hours a week all year long to do that once. What is the Lord telling you to do because there is such a hunger for information? Is the Lord calling you to have an information ministry? 28 bucks to get your website and off you go. And for someone like me who, who prefers writing and thinking that's just, just it. Poverty, disease, hunger, decreased resource availability. There are so many service opportunities. This is, these are just a few little thoughts. There are a thousand ministries that your friend Jesus will lead you to the one where you are stoked. And this is, this is the thing, brothers and sisters. I'm not suggesting that you take up a burden. I'm suggesting you ask Jesus to lead you to the ministry where it's the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning. Where it is a center of joy for you because it's there and your friend Jesus wants you to do it. Okay, the entire series, Sin is Destroying the World, the actual physical world, new thinking, but profoundly supported in Scripture and Spirit of Prophecy. And I'm sorry I'm not throwing those references up now. Uh, they are in earlier sessions. Our Global Complex Society, session number five, is fragile. What we have created, sinful man, is weak. 
And even without the natural world in disarray, uh, all complex societies collapse. And our global complex society, the first one that we know of that's ever existed, is right at the point of pre-collapse. Every previous complex society at this point has gone to war. That's where we are, even without the Earth in disarray. All it takes is a trigger point, and the trigger points are there in, in, in abundance. So this generation can chart and graph the fulfillment of prophecy. We can see wars. We can forecast wars. We can forecast famines. We can track famines. We can forecast, to some degree, pestilence, but we can certainly track it. And we can look and chart and graph disasters. We can chart and graph the fulfillment of prophecy full stop. This aligns perfectly the state of the world with Matthew 24 and Great Controversy chapter 36. And you've heard it so many times in your life that it's become old. But brothers and sisters, Jesus really is coming. And he really is coming soon. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.